1: Welcome to the latest episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Now that you've found us, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. Also, type in 5 Reasons Sports to that provider. You'll get the other 14 podcasts in our network, including Miami Heat Beat, 3 Yards Per Carry, the Chamber Podcast, Out for the Count, and all of the others. Also, we are taping this on launch day. We launched our website um, after many, many, many months of development and uh, and headaches and all the rest of it, but it is launched, 5 Reasons Sports. That's spelled out, not like the Twitter handle, F-I-V-E, reasons, sports.com. We've got three new columns on there, including an introduction from myself, a Dwayne Wade, Justice Winslow piece from Nikias Duncan, and something about the Avengers. See, we go outside of sports with Chris Joseph. Also, you can find all of our podcasts there for Apple and Android and all the latest Miami sports news. And unlike the other outlets, we are free. All right, we're going to bring somebody back here on the podcast. We thought this would be appropriate for launch because he's one of the most popular people in Miami and we are by Miami for Miami. If he could have made it, he would have been at the Ultra Festival this past weekend, but he's <laughs>
2: podcasts,
1: including a new book about LeBron, LeBron Inc. And also you can find him on The Jump and in various other ESPN platforms. He is Brian Winhorse. So you did four years down here in Miami, right? More, most of four years. You weren't here quite as much the last year from what I remember, but all of that time, you never made it to Ultra.
2: You actually launched on, when you said you were launching April 1st, I thought it was just an elaborate joke. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> this is real. It, no, it is. It this is, is real. The, the, this whole I whole an elaborate is joke. This not some April Fool's joke. No, I mean, uh, you know, the, I, I didn't know, uh, Chris actually had to tell me that they moved Ultra because I haven't been to Miami during Ultra, I think, in three years. So three years ago, at least, I know that was going on next door. And the, he were always in town during Ultra. I don't know if it was planned that way. I don't think those I don't think the Venn diagram there's too many there's much of a crossover uh between Ultra fans and Heat fans. But the Heat were always in town, uh during it was Ultra next door, so Brian. Um, Brian, it was next door. I, I don't know. remember you know, I there know. used people sliding
1: across my dashboard on the way out of the
2: arena, which was fantastic. But yeah, it
1: was right next door. the Bayside
2: the Bayside uh I spent many a night going in and out of the Bayside uh, marketplace at like one, two in the morning and those were always the uh, most interesting nights.
3: Yeah, and and for me, the funniest thing was we'd get an email on like you know for a Saturday night uh, game the the weekend of Ultra, and it would be please arrive at the arena ten hours early if you want to park at the Bayside parking garage and just hang out for ten hours before the game because otherwise you're not getting in and you're not getting out.
2: Yeah, I mean it's actually all you know, um, it's 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 a crazy event. I just remember. I arrived in Miami. The last, the last time I was in Miami was on Ultra Weekend a couple of years ago. And I remember landing, and when I was in baggage claim, there was like 1,500 suites. And I go, oh, my God, is this Ultra Weekend? And I like looked it up, and I had actually – I had a, uh, a hotel booked on the beach because, you know, March in Miami, why not? And I saw that it was Ultra the next few days, and I canceled and switched to the airport. And I was like, I just – I don't need that. I'll go back to the beach another time. But – uh <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. It's good for the economy. That's all good.
3: To me, the funniest thing, though, I don't know if you heard the episode, Ethan, but last week on his podcast, Brian Winhorst and the Hoop Collective, he had uh, Tim McMahon and I believe Kevin Pelton on, and you were explaining the idea of Ultra to them, and they sounded a combination of intrigued and horrified by the idea. And I just love that that well, is
1: the, that was is in the Miami. Yeah,
2: right. McMahon was thinking about extending his stay. Pelton,
1: I don't see Winhorst. That that one, no, I, I Pelton, don't. I, no,
2: no. Pelton stays with his laptop. But the thing <laughs> is, like, here's my figure. It's super duper expensive to come to Miami in March in general, right? The hotel rates are really high. That's when everybody wants to come, you know, January, February, March, November season. So to come during ultra, the hotel rooms have got to be just super expensive. And there's just a lot of young folks, you know, who, you know, <laughs> aren't loaded, coming over from Europe, coming from different parts of the country. And they're probably, it's like spring break, they're probably staying in three and four door room. And so look, at the end of the evening, which is when the heat games are getting out and I'm done working, there's a high demand for, you know, private space. And there's just when you're three or four to a room, there's going to be overflow. Right. And uh, the overflow just starts happening in various places in Miami. So, hey, you know, enjoy it, I guess.
1: There is a basketball tie to this. Uh, were you aware? Uh, because I brought it up again on Twitter, and and Gabriel Union, uh, you know, made a mention of it again. Were you aware that Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade are big uh, EDM fans? Big. Uh, by the way, that's that's what they play at Ultra, Brian. If you were unaware, electronic dance. I'm music. aware. Okay. Uh, were you were you aware <laughs> that they were supposed to have a DJ competition against each other?
2: It doesn't surprise me that um, that Chris would be into techno music, but. I don't ever recall being around the heat when uh, music was being played, which was a lot of times. I don't ever recall hearing any EDM. And I would think that Dwayne would have access to the, uh, to the iPod. So that's totally new to me and my eyebrow goes up. But uh, if she says it, it must be true.
1: Well, he didn't have the most access though. Remember who, remember who ran the, the iPod in the, uh, yes. the, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, well aware. Who did Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a good place to transition here no actually. but who, who ran the ipod of course what do you think was it james, james jones it? riley no bron oh oh yeah. i i figured it, i figured... would have
2: like bruce springsteen
1: well, yeah, Riley would put Motown on in the in the practice facility, but the locker room was the. Best. Oh, fact, I see. Okay, he, he used to shoot
2: looks to anybody else who went near it. I, I like <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you well, and LeBron allowed. has talked about this. He's talked about this now, but I mean, in Cleveland, I don't remember this happening in Miami because I don't remember them playing music. And well, maybe they did, but uh, in Cleveland, especially pregame, he would have like this Beats pill or some some beats, uh, you know, whatever they gave him to play and he would be thumping music and he famously didn't pay for the Spotify, um, <laughs> subscription. So, you know, there'd be like some, you know, full on hardcore, uh, hip hop flying out, you know, pregame. And all of a sudden you'd hear, do you need an MBA? Cleveland state university can provide, you know, and like you'll be blasting. And a couple of people wrote about it and Spotify, I think, hooked him up with a lifetime membership
3: for i three. mean so. lebron can't fork out the 49.99 no. a year for spotify no. it's it like you wrote a book about him being a billion do- is this how he's become a billion dollar athlete is this is this if the spoiler alert for the end of LeBron,
2: the book yes. he doesn't like to spend his money when he can get away without spending it he will not spend it and it works spotify hooked him up so there you go
1: we're going to get to your book because obviously this is about how LeBron uh, became a billion-dollar athlete, and when I texted you about this, you said, yeah, the timing on this is not so great. Um, it's perfect. Uh, it's it's, it's,
2: <laughs> it's published." LeBron's not even playing anymore. I thought it was going to be his last game. He's not even <laughs> playing anymore.
1: So this comes out next week as we're taping this and I want to get into what's happened in Los Angeles and then we're going to tie some things back to Miami. Uh, But what sort of, what was the, what was sort of the, the idea behind this book? Why did you decide to write it? What kind of access uh, did you get and what did you learn?
2: Well, in all honesty, basically the publisher wanted another LeBron book. And I just, I was tired of writing basketball books. So I just said, I want to write about his business because I think that's, He's done some interesting things. He's made a couple of deals that are just you know, historically great. His shoe deal that he made, finally enough time has passed, Ethan, where the people who were involved in the negotiations actually started finally giving up some details. So it took fifteen years. but I was actually finally able to get the story that I wanted to write fifteen years ago. But you about told me the story,
1: Brian, didn't you? I mean, privately, right? I remember. We, I'm, I've, I remember distinctly, like being at a Little Italy in Boston or something like that, and you were telling stories about the So some of this was out there a little bit, right?
2: Yeah, bits and pieces. But you know, this was story, this is the most comprehensive. I don't want to write about it ever again. This is it. You know, I, I wrote the definitive thing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if slash when LeBron ever puts out his book, whether he will really give his thought process as to what he did, because basically at the end of the day, Reebok was offering him, depending on, you know, different numbers that you may or may not believe, Reebok was offering him about 40 to $50 million more. Basically, you know, Reebok was behind. And the way you make up uh, being behind is just through money. And, you know, today I think if we heard LeBron turn down $50 million, We'd say, OK, I mean, you know, he, the guy's worth hundreds of millions and he, he wants to make a decision that's going to be better long term, you know, 50. But, you know, back then he was still in high school. I mean, he was negotiating his shoe contract while he was going to high school. And I, when, I, when I say in high school, what I mean is he went to school, got in a private plane, flew to Reebok in, in Massachusetts negotiated with them, turned down their offer, got back in a private plane, came back home, and went to homeroom the next day. <laughs> so when I say he was still in high school, he was still in high school. And yes, he certainly had the promise that he was going to be a millionaire, but he was not a millionaire. And um, in the, one of the key moments was he was offered a uh, basically a take-it-or-leave-it $10 million cashier's check. So basically Reebok wanted to do the deal. They didn't want him to go meet with Nike, they didn't want him to go meet with Adidas, so they pulled out a check with his name on it, a cashier's check, and said, if you sign with us right now. And by the way, he was going to sign for $100 million. It was $100 million for the next 10 years, and then here's $10 million that you can take tonight, and tomorrow morning you can put this in the bank, and you will have $10 million. And yes, he was you know, aware he was going to be rich, but he didn't have the money yet. And his mom was sitting there with him, and uh, she started crying. And Reebok thought they were going to close the deal. And uh, the guy who put the deal together um, was this guy named, you know, is this guy named Steve Stout. And he had signed all these hip hop artists throughout the 90s. He got a long list of people he discovered. He's like, this is what you did with young African American kids. You just showed them the money and they signed. And that was not how LeBron operated. LeBron was not going to go that way. And and he was blown away. Um, he was blown away because LeBron was willing to, to think long term. And it ended up getting really interesting because when they went to Nike, they were expecting the same sort of blow getting blown away. Um, but Nike offered like tens and tens of millions of dollars less and there was no $10 million check. And so it got pretty interesting there for a few days. So, so telling that story, telling the story of the deal that he made with Beats, which is one of the best endorsement deals you'll hear ever hear of. Now, there's been some deals since then, like Kobe uh, Bryant made a whole bunch of money with body armor. But basically, Beats had no money. I mean, they were a startup. I mean, yeah, it was Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, so who were rich guys behind it, but they didn't have like a $50 million marketing budget. So they gave LeBron, you know, a couple percentage points of the company and they had LeBron hand out um, headphones to the uh, Olympic his Olympic teammates in Beijing. And, you know, even if it it was a lesser teammate, like let's say it was Joe Johnson, you know, at the time, remember, nobody was wearing $400 headphones that were like, that looked like something you would wear if you were like a studio producer. You know, we were all wearing, um, you know, you know, earbuds and stuff and they looked weird and they were unusual and they were preposterously priced, but LeBron got all of his teammates to wear them in Beijing and people saw him and, it was like almost co-opting all of those 12 guys, 12 of the most high profile players in the world at one of the most high profile events. Um, and he got them all to wear them because they thought it was cool. And that launched Beats, that, that Olympics ended up launching Beats essentially. And they later sold it for $3 billion and do the math, LeBron got over fifty million, you know, uh, for that. And he's still with them today, still making money off them today.
1: Blaze Pizza is another one, right? So, I mean, it seems to me like he's gotten into some because food stuff can be very difficult. I mean, Dwayne has had that experience, right? Like Dwayne had the the restaurant in in Fort Lauderdale, or that didn't work out very well. Now he started a new one with Udonis uh, down at eight hundred degrees down in down in Aventura, but. Uh, It seems to me like the Blaze thing has taken off for him. So I I feel like since the Sheets deal, he's made mostly good decisions.
2: Yeah, do you know who his partner is in the Blaze investment? I do not. Um, Maria Shriver and Patrick Schwarzenegger. Wait, (laughs) what? Okay. Why not? Why not, Ethan? Why not? I guess not. Um, But uh, he has, I think, the South Florida market. So um, if you go to a Blaze pizza, I'm fairly certain he still has it. I think he has South Florida and Illinois. Um, so if you go to a Blaze Pizza in Chicago or uh, Miami, you're, you know, you're going to a LeBron owned uh, operation. Um, and basically what happened was for that one, he, you know, he basically started out just as an investor. He, he liked the idea of it. Um, I think he did some promotion of it. And um, he was with McDonald's and, you know, he's promoting Big Macs and whatnot. And McDonald's offered him uh, an extension to his contract at about three million bucks a year. And instead of taking that money, I think McDonald's only really required him to work, you know, three or four days for them a year. <laughs> so he got three or four million bucks for it. So it was a good uh, it was a good deal. Um, he turned it down to become uh, more involved with with Blaze. And I think he now owns around 10 percent of the company. And, um, you know, his idea, you know, he really wants to buy he wants to buy a team. And to buy a team these days, I mean, if you look at like what Derek Jeter did, um, Derek Jeter, I think, owns about 4% mm-hmm. of the Marlins. I
3: think, I think he put up um,
2: $50 million, I think. Right. So LeBron could do a deal like that today. He, he has money. He could, he could put his hands on $50 million. The, the key would be he'd have to get a partner um, that wants to put up the money. And I'm sure he could. I mean, A lot of people would want to partner yeah. with LeBron. But I don't think LeBron wants to do what Jeter did. I mean, Jeter basically has a small piece of the team, and he's running it day to day. Um, and I think, who's the main owner? Bruce Sherman? Is that yeah, sure. But, yeah. but
1: Brian, he's also getting himself paid back. I think, what well, does Jeter get $5 million a yeah, year? Yeah, he he's like CEO. Yeah, He gave himself like, a,
3: like yeah. a $5 million salary, yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. Well, I don't think LeBron wants to run a team day to day. I don't think he wants to be the guy who's out there, you know, the way Jeter is. I think LeBron would prefer to be the Bruce Sherman end of the deal as opposed to the Derek Jeter end of the deal. And so he's going to need a lot of money to do that. Um, you know, just because you buy a team for a billion dollars doesn't mean you have to put a billion down, obviously. Um, but you're going to have to have hundreds of millions and that's what he wants to do. And so he's got to make deals like this blaze pizza deal, um, that are, uh, that are going to, you know, be really rewarding. And, um, really LeBron's championship this year. And, and this you know, if Maverick Carter heard me say this, he would get probably pretty upset by it. But the um, bronze championships this year is Space Jam. Um, yeah. You know, his season is over. He's now going to have uh, five months off. They're going to film Space Jam, in, Space Jam in June and July. And if that movie is a success, uh, it's, it's, I think they announced it's, gonna, it's supposed to come out in, the, in the, the summer of 2020, July of 2020. If that movie is a success, and Warner Brothers gets their investment back and it makes money, LeBron is going to have the possibility to make more movies, either whether he's in them or whether it's with his production company. I mean, if you make a successful movie, um, the door opens to you in Hollywood. Um, and they've got big-time people associated with that movie. They've got the producer of Black Panther. Um, I'm trying to remember who the who the director. But they got – like it is not – it is a major – it, this is not train wreck where he did you know 4 days worth of filming and he had a bit role and he was part of promotion like this is a major major thing and if this thing hits it sets him up to make movies for for years if it flops uh which by the way you know Steven Spielberg's made movies that have flops i mean you know even if you have great people if you have a great script it can flop i, I don't know if it'll flop i mean it's a it's a it's going to be a cartoon based movie about basketball um you know uncle drew for example uh, Kyrie's movie that came out, uh, was it last year or two years ago? I think it came out last year. Mm-hmm. That movie actually did okay. Um, it wasn't my type of comedy, but I mean, it did okay. Um, and that's, I think bodes well for LeBron, but if this movie hits, I mean, it's huge for him. If it doesn't hit, I think his media company takes a serious, uh, step backwards. And so, That movie, and I'm not saying that he's been in the writing room every day or anything, um, but he's got to be focused on thinking about this movie. And that's his championship this year. And it's no, you know, again, they can come out with whatever they want to say. They can make their statements. They can tell me I'm wrong. It's no coincidence that, that, you know, that the year that he knew his eight-year run of finals was going to end, and he knew that a long time ago. He knew that the playoffs, he didn't know the playoff streak was going to end. Uh, that is the year that they're making Space Jam, that they're filming in the summer. I don't I don't buy that as coincidence. So I think that the Space Jam thing is his big move for 2019.
3: We'll get back to today's episode in a second. But first, I want to tell you about one of our new sponsors here in the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is the attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg. Find them at onecalllegal.com. That's O-N-E, calllegal.com, or actually call 855 855- 5,000 Law LAW. They handle cases including but not limited to car accidents, slip and falls, and any personal injury matters. Additionally, if you mention five reasons, they will handle your traffic ticket 44 99 with a new 15000 square foot office opening on i-95 in north miami they will handle cases all over south florida call now with 24 7 service for a free consultation one call or 855 5000 law the attorneys at seltzer mayburg a proud sponsor of the five reasons sports network I have a few follow-ups on this, so I kind of want to get to some of these quickly. So um, the Nike deal, um, so he basically chose Nike over Reebok because he thought it would be cooler to be associated with Nike, and for the long term, that was a better idea than being associated with Reebok for a $10,000 cashier's check?
2: Yeah, so Reebok was offering more than $115 million. Nike's final offer was $87 million.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, they, they were much farther apart than that. Um, and so basically what LeBron told me was, um, you don't think about the first check, the $10 million check, you think about all the checks. Mm. Um, and so he subsequently signed a couple of extensions with Nike, um, He's made hundreds of millions from them. Reebok is now out of business. I mean, they got bought by Adidas and the brand. I mean, I think the brand is still around a little bit, but the basketball end of it is essentially gone. Now, maybe it wouldn't have been gone if LeBron had been there. But, uh, you know, I think I think it's fair to say it was a good decision. Uh, It's just I'm just more amazed that he was willing to turn down that kind of money at age 18. Um, Again, At age 34, you can see him doing that, but age 18, totally different scenario.
3: You mentioned some of the endorsement deals that he's done along the way, but when... In the sort of arc of his career, did he transition from wanting to be a spokesman and receiving a check for that versus wanting to be an owner of things? And, and uh, you mentioned, obviously, NBA ownership is an ideal, and that, that's certainly a crazy amount of money. He's going to have to make in order to do that. But in order to do that, you're going to have to hit on almost like George Clooney owning his own tequila. When did he make that move from wanting to be an endorser versus an owner?
2: Yeah, you'll see that. You'll notice he's really not in commercials anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a couple, uh, you know, he had that, uh, that deal with Kia um, where he was doing Kia ads uh, in recent years, but he's just not in them much anymore. By the way, a lot of investors come to this conclusion. This is not a new concept, but it's kind of, it's new for athletes. You know, for the most part, Jordan did endorsements. Now what he did have ownership in was the Jordan brand and that's Mm. what made him hundreds of millions, but you know, Um, You know, Ballpark Franks, Hanes Underwear, um, you know, whatever, you know, Gatorade. I mean, Jordan was just a highly compensated endorser. He did commercials and he got big checks for them. And, uh, you know, Jordan was in movies or in at least the one big movie, Space Jam, but he didn't have a media company where he was the owner. And that's a transition that athletes are making. And LeBron is at the leading edge of that. Now, you know, LeBron started his own media company. And since LeBron started, started, started that, um, James Harden has one. Steph Curry has one. Kevin Durant has one. You know, other people are doing the same sort of thing. Um, a, a big thing was uh, in 2000. Actually, when he was in Miami in 2010, uh, he actually, I think, the deal was announced in 2011, but they negotiated it in 2010. He did this crazy deal. This, you know, this is of in the weed scenario, but it's, it's described in the book. He did this crazy deal with the owners of the Boston Red Sox, um, Fenway Sports Group, um, where he basically allowed them to take over his marketing to to do endorsement deals for him, because he was doing them himself before that, um, in return for getting 2% of Liverpool uh, FC. And that's a crazy deal that you would you would think that you know. And I won't go into the details now. It's all described in the book. But basically, he, he he for the right to have those guys go out and market him, he traded it for ownership in a in a in a football an English football team, which now is worth over two billion dollars. Back then, it was worth and, about and, t- and turned over market. I
3: think a hundred million in profit last year.
2: Uh, is that right? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you may know more about it than I do, but I mean, if they, you know, you know, his investment now is probably worth. Uh, in excess of $50 million. So that type of deal is what the deals is working on. But basically, the genesis of it was when he had when he, when he had Cannondale bikes. So um, LeBron was really into to biking. You remember, you know, when he was with the Heat, he would bike to games sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would, you know, get involved in like uh, marathon bike races. You know, uh, you remember that commercial that they filmed in Miami with all the kids on the bikes um, behind them was really, really into bikes around that time. And there was a, a company called Cannondale. Now, I'm not a cyclist, so I really can't say how prominent they were. Um, the company was in distress um, uh, a, a, buy, a leveraged buyout company, a private equity company uh, had bought them. Um, they were interested in getting a little good PR. So. Instead of just hiring LeBron to ride on Cannondale bikes and put his name on it and say, buy Cannondale, buy LeBron, um, he bought a piece of the company. And the company turned around and and sold itself. And in a short period of time, LeBron made a bunch of money on that investment. And it just lit a fire within him and Maverick. The idea that it wasn't just about being in a commercial, but they could actually be invested in the business and help turn the business around and make a real big profit really quick. Um, that lit the fire in him. And that was about 2007, 8 And he, he, he subsequently looked for deals like that. He's looking for deals like that to this day.
1: One of the things that's interesting to me is I, I think he's become a lot smarter about the way he promotes too, because uh, the, I, I had a list when he was with The Heat of companies he endorsed that he would sort of say the wrong thing about at times. Remember, I think we were at a shoot around and he was talking about he sort of asked about how much McDonald's he eats. (laughs) This is when he was endorsing McDonald's and he talked about eating healthier or the day that Samsung, all of his data was erased from his phone in the locker room before the game. I forgot what year that was. And he actually, I think he tweeted about it. And you mentioned Spotify taking care of him. I think Samsung found his data uh, right away. (laughs) His would be the data I would find, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he had a number of those kind of situations where, you know, I feel like, he had to grow as as the way that he endorsed uh certain products you know out there i mean even the the was it the the lebron 11s that he had the issue with one, one of the shoes right that nike gave him that he just he stopped
2: wearing them yeah. right he
1: stopped wearing them right and but made it known that he stopped wearing them like it wasn't it wasn't a secret like we all knew like he he doesn't like the shoe at all um right.
2: so he had to grow in that way also yeah, um I remember when he started doing Samsung, uh, I remember this vividly. We were in New York, it was like the second or third game of the season, heat at Knicks. Um, and he had just started working for Samsung and this was so I don't I don't know if you were there and if you remember this, Ethan. We were in the visiting locker room at uh at Madison Square Garden and he had just started this deal and he started watching games like league pass on his phone and it was post game and he was like icing and he was making a very big deal about how awesome this phone was to watch games on this wasn't a commercial he was just like doing it because he knew that the new york media was in the room and he was like oh man look how awesome this is look at this resolution um (laughs) (laughs) So. <laughs> and he was like calling. He was like calling Mario over. Mar- I mean, it was so. It was kind of embarrassing. He was like, "Hey, man, look at look at how nice this is. Ooh, and look I can." Like, I was like, "What are you doing right now? What are you doing?" You know, he <laughs> would never do something right, like that today. a word, Brian, just
1: making sure it gets to the post. You know, and, and with right. with a head with the headline, LeBron hates Apple, right? Like, you know, in the right.
2: Big- yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, he would never do something like that today. So he he's you know he's he's learned we we've watched him learn along the way you're
4: listening to the five reason sports network we've created a menu of intelligent and entertaining content on demand for commutes workouts and more and by now you're already familiar with the 15 different podcasts in our network today we are proud to announce the premiere of our brand new website five on it, you'll find columns from more than a dozen of our hosts, many who are professional writers in the market. Watch original videos from shows like Miami Heatbeat and Balls Cast. Browse our full merchandise shop. And unlike other outlets in the area, there's no paywall. Everything is absolutely free. All of this from a network that's credentialed from all five major sports teams in South Florida. Oh, yeah. Did we mention that it's free? We're By Miami for Miami. We're sports on your schedule. We're Miami Sports On Demand. We're the 5 Reasons Sports Network. Go to 5reasonsports.com today.
1: All right. So let's get to a little bit of basketball here. And I'm just going to throw one question at you. And I, I know your, your colleague, Dave McMenamin wrote a really long piece about this, which I thought was very well done. You should check that out on ESPN.com. But I, I'll just put it this way, because I know that there's different schools of thought on this and people who think if nobody had gotten hurt, everything would have been fine this year. But what went wrong in LA this season?
2: Well, I thought it was flawed from the start. I remember, you know, they're signing all of these non-shooters and, um, like it took a long time to figure out how to how to properly use LeBron. The Cavs sort of plundered around in the dark for for seven years. They started getting close at the end um, when they started putting you know two or three shooters on the court with them. Um, and finally, Spo, after you know messing around for a year, was like, look, pace and space. Uh, we're gonna play. Um, we're gonna play uh, with four shooters around LeBron. And Chris, I know that you don't like shooting threes you don't like playing center uh tough you're going to go out to the uh to the perimeter and Shane um LeBron doesn't like playing power forward so you're going to defend the power forwards and get bruised up and then you're going to stand in the corner and you're going to space the floor for LeBron and wait for a pass and we're going to talk Ray Allen into coming here and um and not only that but you it was always very important to have another guard a ball handler with LeBron who could uh, also not have to have the ball in his hand, and uh, and either shoot or create, which that was the role Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers was one of the most perfect guard teammates. No matter what you ever want to say about Mario, he defended, he could shoot, and he was fearless. Um, and he didn't get, didn't bother him that LeBron uh, would bark at him. Mar- Mario Chalmers is one of the most perfect. LeBron teammates he ever had. Um, but even Mo Williams before him. I mean, Mo was a similar type of player. He he was nowhere near the defender Mario was. Um, but he was a guy who could create and shoot and didn't have to have the ball in his hand. Um Kyrie Irving was the quintessential player to play next to LeBron. Now ultimately it didn't work because Kyrie it frustrated Kyrie not to be the center of attention, but my God, you couldn't other than the than the than the temperament, you couldn't create a player better to play with LeBron. Than uh, than Kyrie, and if you look at what the Cavs did, you know they got guys like Kyle Korver um, uh, to play with him. Um, they, you know, the idea to get shooting um, to play with him is what teams have been assessed, uh, obsessed with for a decade, and that's why LeBron for a decade had either been on finals teams or teams that were super great, like those last two Cavs teams. The first time around, they weren't championship teams, but they won 60 games. They were great teams and you know the heat showed the blueprint of how you play with lebron shooting 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 give him space run on fast run on turnovers but otherwise lebron likes to play slow and the heat the, you know the i mean the heat's blueprint that they created that eric Spolster created unleashed lebron as a championship player and the and magic johnson and the and the lakers looked at that and said nah we know better <laughs> what LeBron needs is is ball handlers to take the pressure off him. He's going to go play in the post. And I thought it was lunacy. And then they wanted to play a super up-tempo offense, which, you know, the heat played up-tempo, but that was seven, eight years ago now uh, when they played all that up-tempo. LeBron has been on one of the slow, the, the teams in Cleveland were some of the slowest teams in the league for a reason. LeBron was leaving the league in minutes. You had, you can't play fast. So, not only, not only do you transition LeBron out of, you know, you, you, you send him to a new place, so there's to transition there anyway, and you send him to the Western Conference, which is tougher, but he also completely changed the way the teammates, the team is built around him and make him play a much higher speed than he's played before. It wasn't just the injuries. It was a combination of all of those decisions and all of those circumstances that led to a disaster season.
3: So I I guess my question would be now looking at the actual decision itself to go to Los Angeles. He basically, in effect, by choosing Los Angeles, took himself out of the running for winning the championship after being in the finals for eight straight seasons. Do you think that at at the time he was making the decision that he understood that he was doing that? And do you think he's particularly bothered about it right now?
2: So I think he knew he wasn't going to be going to the finals this year. I think he knew that. I think his plan was... Rally the Lakers this year, you know, get them into the playoffs, maybe second round, maybe you get a favorable matchup and, and pull off and get to the conference finals, have a respectable season. And then you load up on free agents and you've the team. And, um, you know, maybe Durant leaves the Warriors and they come down a little bit. And then in, you know, in 1920, that's when you make your, that's when you make your, your move. And, you know, I think there was also some hubris there because LeBron had gone to Cleveland after leaving Miami and turned them from a non-playoff team into a team that was up to one in the finals. Now they weren't a championship team at that point, but you know, I think he felt when I arrive, I will change everything. Um, and I, so I do think there was hubris there. I do think that he thought by simply just being there and playing his game that he would, he would single-handedly turn them around. And I don't know, maybe it was the fact that he got hurt. Uh, maybe it was the fact that it was the Western Conference. Maybe it's the fact that at age 34, he can't do it like when he was 30. Uh, maybe it's a combination of all of those. Um, but whatever it was, he was not able to make the impact that he thought he was going to make. And now when you look at the competition out there for these players,
4: Join Planet Fitness for just $1
2: down and $10 a month. Cancel any time. DLM's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Um, this is not Kevin Love who was dying to be able to play. Uh, and, you know, not that Kevin Love is a superstar, but Kevin Love really helped. Um, uh, you know, this is, you know, the, the guys who are the premium free agents this year already have rings. Durant, Clay, Kyrie, Kawhi. They don't need LeBron to get them to, you know, to, to validate them as players. Um, and not only that, but there's a lot of competition out there. The Knicks, the Clippers, the Nets, the Mavericks. Um, it's hard enough to get a free agent to leave his, his current situation where he can make more money. Um, it's really hard when there's other good options out there. And so, um, I, I just, I just think the chances of the Lakers improving in this next year, at least improving dramatically, it's, it's going to be a challenge.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Where does this go from here? Because, you know, I'm reading a Bill Plaschke column yesterday that was, frankly, amazing. Um, And and I have a lot of respect for Bill. I've read Bill for years. But it's not just that he called the Lakers season a failure. He called LeBron a failure, basically. He he actually – and there's a a paragraph in there where Plaschke essentially says the Lakers might have been better off without him, uh, you know, because their record is virtually the same. Now – When he went to L.A., one of the issues that I had and others in our network had with it is that he was never really going to be loved there unless he won multiple championships because Kobe fans are irrational. The L.A. media at times about the Lakers can be irrational Um, and and the team wasn't really positioned to win right away. So it was going to take a couple of years and they needed to get lucky to be able to get an Anthony Davis or somebody like that to build it out. So I, I guess. And the other thing is, Brian, he signed the four year deal this time like he did. He committed in a way he never committed to Cleveland. And to be honest, he com he didn't really commit to Miami because he had the opt out after four. I mean, he did commit for the four years, but obviously, you know, we never thought he was really going to finish out the six at the time when you can sign those contracts. So where does this go from here? I mean, is it, have we seen the best of LeBron in terms of, you know, the way that he's regarded by the team that he plays for?
2: Can you imagine if he had only signed a one year deal, if he had signed a one plus one, <laughs> I wish, I wish, how much fun would this summer be? Oh my God. Um, you know look, here's his here's his explanation. When he was signing the one- year deals in Cleveland, it was during a period where the salary cap was leaping dramatically. And it did. um, and you could see it coming. in in fifteen and sixteen and seventeen, the cap increased a lot. And therefore, um, because he felt like he had left money on the table in Miami, um, even though that was presented as a really good story, and and it was the way the Heat were able to build a championship team, um, he walked out of that with a sour taste in his mouth that he was somehow taken advantage of. Even though he really didn't leave tens of millions on the table, um, you know he left he left millions on the table. Um, and then the you know you could make the argument that with no state income tax, he actually came out ahead. And certainly when you compute the fact that he had his other earnings, his other endorsement earnings, which were tens of millions of dollars and he could claim Florida residency for all those. I mean, when you're, t- when you're taking your Nike check, which is, you know, $12, $15 million a year at the base before you get royalties, uh, and you're saying, I don't have to pay state income tax on that, and you'd be paying, you know, a couple of million a year in that, you know, in Ohio, and certainly in California, where the state income tax is 15%, fourteen I think 14% for millionaires. Um, you could make the argument that, he actually didn't leave any money on the table, but um, that's not the way he saw it. He saw that he, you know, he, he basically said, "I'm never not playing for max salary again." And so his argument was that he didn't actually do the one-year contracts in Cleveland to hold the blade over Dan Gilbert's head. It was more to make sure they didn't get locked into a deal where the cap was going to go way up and he wasn't getting the money he should. And that's a reasonable statement to make. Um, but the truth is after the Cavs won the championship in 2016, um the cap spikes were over and he could have signed long term. Also, um the, the summer when they traded Kyrie Irving, they were trying to trade for Paul George and Dan Gilbert did not want to have both Paul George and LeBron James on this payroll or on his roster going into free agent years. So he asked LeBron to extend his contract at that time. He said, if you want me to trade for Paul George, can you extend your contract? And he did not, um, because he, I think he knew he was going to leave, or at least he wanted to really have the option to leave. And as a result, you know, that, that argument kind of loses water in the back half of that. So, yes, uh, giving a four-year commitment to Miami – I'm sorry, to uh, L.A., Um, really was kind of uh, an interesting decision uh, based on all everything that he had in his feet. You know, I I think at the end of the day, what he's wagering on is that um, the Lakers will be able to get players because it's in Los Angeles and it's the Lakers and it will work out. And that wager may end up working. It's, it's not the worst bet of all time. It's just a, it's just a more complicated bet than I think that he, thought he was getting into and I also think it's fair to say that him going to the Lakers was not a basketball decision solely and that's not unreasonable him going to the Cavs was not all about basketball there was some family and emotions that went into that Um, and I think that there was some family and some business decisions that went into going to the Lakers Um, I don't think that I think that's okay I don't think he should be criticized for but I do think that he should own it and, I'm, I'm, and I think at some point, he probably when he's speaking, honestly, he he will do that.
1: I want to transition to the heat with you here, and I'm going to do this uh, by quoting somebody uh, relatively high up in the organization who I spoke to this past week, uh, someone that, that you're familiar with also, who basically said to me, uh, we were talking about LeBron and not making the playoffs, and he said, you know, I think the last two times that LeBron has made a decision, it's been about the city or the narrative and not the organization. Would you agree with that?
2: Yes. I don't know how you could possibly look at the Lakers or Cavs and think and think that their organizations operate better than than the, the Heat. Um, and the thing is, it worked in Cleveland. Um, they won the title, and you could argue that. You know, the the team that you know they won the title in sixteen and the team that they had in two thousand seventeen was a great team. Uh in many years that team would have been good enough to win the title. Uh as a reminder, they went twelve and one through the East playoffs. Um and you can criticize East all you want, that's dominance. And um had they not gone up against a team with Curry Durant um and Clay Thompson, three Hall of Famers in their prime um, and it had just been your run-of-the-mill. <laughs> you know, if, if if that team had been playing the 2011 Mavericks, for example, or the 2012 Thunder, um, I think the Cavs win that title. So even though the organization wasn't the same class as the Heat, um, he could look at himself in the mirror and say, this worked. And again, I think it goes back to hubris. He went to L.A. thinking that, yeah, even though there's flaws here, because I'm me, it's going to work. And that had, that was not the case at least in year one. And
1: I want to get to another of your takes because we were texting about this the other day and obviously we're in the middle of it. So it's kind of hard to see the forest from the trees. Sometime we've been doing six weeks of Wade here. We've got an episode that's coming out uh, with Bob Metellus this week, which is a lot of fun, which we just taped yesterday about kind of the backstory from one last dance with some stuff that people are honestly not going to believe about the way Dwayne came to his decision to play this year. You, you texted me that you think it's the most overlooked best story in the league right now. Now, we're covering the hell out of it, right? Because right because he's ours and because he's played 16 seasons. I mean, during the, his career, the Dolphins have not won a playoff game, <laughs> okay? I mean, this is this is rare <laughs> this that. Okay? The Knicks have made the playoffs four times and got to the second round once. Um I mean that, and look what Dwayne has accomplished over the past 16 years, and look at you know what he's set up here. And to me, it's not even a question. I, I, you know, was I grew up watching Marino and dreading Marino because I grew up in New York, but but Dwayne Wade is the most important sports star in South Florida history. But you think nationally, and you work for the major national outlet. You think nationally, it's not getting covered enough. Why?
2: Just the heat aren't good enough. Um, you know what? What gets covered is the jersey swaps, which is just awesome. I mean, the the moment. That moment with Kevin Herter was one of my favorite moments of the NBA season. That's, that's what gets covered. I don't think how Dwayne is playing gets covered. I think one of the ma- amazing things, you know, Adam Silver launched this, but those of us who've been in the league are aware of it. There is a lot of unhappiness in the league right now. By the way, it's not just the players. The coaches and the executives are unhappy too. Um, there's never been more money in the NBA, um, but there's never been more unhappiness, at least in my 16 years of covering the league. I've never felt it more than I have uh, the last couple of years. And here you have this wonderful, happy story that's a complete contrast to all of that. Which is, and by the way, it was it was unexpected. Um, not that you know Dwayne's retirement was clearly expected; he pretty much announced it. But um, also, the, just the way he's gone about it, it's been branded. Um, you know, like like you know, you know Kobe like branded it uh, his his retirement, but it kind of felt forced and lame. And you know, people enjoyed Kobe going around the league, but. It kind of felt like Kobe was doing it by himself, for himself, whereas Dwayne's seems like it has brought so many other players and people joy. And in, in a time where there's a struggle for joy in the NBA, Dwayne has been a font of it. And just, you know, my, my memory of this season is just Dwayne smiling night after night after night, and he's just putting up these amazing numbers and looking at it every night. What did Dwayne do tonight? My God, he had 23 oh man, he he had 26, he had 17. It's been such a a counter to the, what the, the season has been. It's just been amazing. It's, it's been the model way to handle a retirement. And I know that people say, um, well, boy, Dwayne shouldn't retire. He looks so good. And I agree, from a physical standpoint, he probably could keep going. But this has been the most wonderful way. I mean, he's not going to get a ring for this season, but he won this season. He won it. And it's going to be sad if he's not around the playoffs very long, if he makes it there at all. Um, but, you know, that does not mean that he did not make a major accomplishment. His people will remember this departure forever. And I think it's a, I think it's something to be honored. And I know that the outlets in Florida have covered it. Um, but I just don't know. And I don't know how we could have. You know, the Heat are under 500. Um, I don't know how we could have covered it differently. Um, but I just know that I don't think the joy has been spread as much as I think that Dwayne and the Heat fans have enjoyed it.
3: Well, and, and I think joy is just in general a hard thing to cover sometimes because it just sort of goes, well, oh, Dwayne Wade had a great career. How great was it? Pretty great. How, how great is you know him exchanging jerseys with an uh, you know, Atlanta Hawks player who grew up idol- idolizing him? Pretty great. How great was it? Pretty great. Like In general, it's the debate points. It's the talking points. But um, in terms of... Being able to go out... You mentioned the Kobe thing, and, and you mentioned a few other of these guys that have kind of had last year's. To me, the thing that's been most impressive, and you heard Scott Brooks talking about this after the Heat beat Washington, was, wait, why why is this guy going? Like, the Heat should be fine for letting him go. He should be fine for going. Why, are, why And And the fact that... It's been a player who's played so well on top of embarking on all this. For me, again, you talk about some of the negativity that surrounds the league. Part of the joy in it is that you're getting to see a player retire on his own terms and retire while still playing well when you compare it to the Carmelo Anthony situation. It's just such a stark contrast.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I've talked to Paul Pierce about this. Now, Paul Pierce sort of went out with a whimper. He barely played at all his last year in the league um he had a great day in boston when he played his last game in boston Uh, but paul has talked about um by the way it's, it's so much fun to talk to paul about the the heat wars um but um it's um paul will say that he got to go out on his own terms and he goes it's one of those things that you hear people say but you have no idea how important that is for somebody who's been around so long and so That's the thing, like um, Dwayne being able to do this and go out this way is so important. And like you look at the big three, for example, if you look at the big three, the guys who are playing in the big three, um, for the most part, these are guys who didn't go out on their own terms. I mean, Rashard Lewis is an example. Heat fans will know he's playing in the big three. Uh, He got a knee injury and like couldn't play anymore. You know, talking to Steven Jackson, Steven Jackson still believes he should be playing in the NBA today. Um, He didn't get to go out on his terms. He got cut by Greg Popovich. They, you know, they they clash, they cut him, and that was it. Um, and he plays the big three. You know, Gilbert Arenas is playing in the big three this year. He didn't get to go out on his own terms. Guys who don't get to go out on their own terms stew on it for years, and they chase it. Um, and so it really does mean something. And, uh, again, you know, you're right, Chris. It's hard to tell that story. It's hard to relate that story. It's not something that you're going to see, you know, Stephen A. talking about on first take, but it doesn't mean it's not important.
1: I'm not letting you off the hook here. We need a Pierce story. Give us one.
2: Man, he was telling me about the night. Uh, you remember the um, what was the tweet when when they came, when they came down, um, you know, the Heat the Heat's first year together, and basically they had been formed essentially from LeBron's point of view to beat the Celtics. LeBron had lost to the Celtics two of the last three years. Um, Pierce completely outplayed them the year before in the playoffs uh, and knocked them out. And I think, I'm pretty sure LeBron articulated this. He, you know, one of the reasons he came to the heat was so he could beat the Celtics. So they come down there and um, the Celtics come down. there. I want to say it was maybe the second week of the season, maybe the third week and, um, and the, the heat or the uh, Celtics win and Pierce tweets going out of town um, Hey, thanks for the sun. I mean, what, I can't remember what he did, but he tweaked them going out the door and he talked about how much fun that was to tweak them because he knew that he could get under their skin. You know, that was the one thing that they felt like that they could get under LeBron's skin. They could get under the heat player's skin by, uh, by trash talking them and tweaking them like that. Now, obviously later on, the heat came back and beat them in five in the playoffs. Um, and they had a couple more playoff uh, battles down the, down the line. But um, uh, Paul talking the story about how much, how they how they thought that they owned them that night. It um, didn't turn out to be true. But uh, I, I like that story.
3: I actually just found the tweet uh, from Paul Pierce. It's been a pleasure to bring my talents to South Beach, now on to Memphis. That's what it was.
2: That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he, he tweaked them. And uh, apparently that was a big discussion with the Celtics at that time. They felt like, yeah, they beat, they built this super team, but they can't beat the old boys, and um, turned out not to be true. And they did have the one uh, tremendous series uh, when Obash had gotten hurt. Yep. Um, the next year, um, but, uh, you know, and that sort of unleashed LeBron. Um, the, the sort of, you know, when they won Game Five, they thought again they thought they had the series won, and if anything, it may have been a little bit of hubris from the Celtics. Um, they felt like uh, we you know, we got them we got them. They can't beat us. And uh, and LeBron turned it around. So, um, you know, that to me was one of the great series of LeBron's career. Um, I don't know if it's remembered as such, certainly it's remembered as such in Miami, but you know, the, um, the, you know, the seven game series with the heat, I'm sorry, with the uh, Spurs is always remembered. Uh, And by the way, when Chris Bosh said last week that it was the biggest rebound in NBA history, at first I kind of was like, huh, I started thinking about it. Mhm It's a pretty big rebound, yeah it's a pretty big <laughs> rebound Brian I don't for know I'm to criticized about
1: his rebounding all the time right i mean to me that's the irony of the whole thing is that it, that that was the big knock i mean everybody forgot that last week when Chris got honored, but I feel that a lot of tweets over four years about Chris getting two or three rebounds in a game and he ended up, I think it is the biggest rebound. I, I, I was thinking about that too. I, I can't come up with one that was more important. None of it happens. None of it happens if he doesn't grab that rebound. And honestly, if pop the greatest coach of all time, doesn't take Tim Duncan off the floor, the rebound probably doesn't happen.
2: Probably not. I mean, we'll never know exactly where Duncan would have been. Right. Um, the, the crazy thing about it is the previous possession when LeBron hits the three, okay? So if you remember uh, Kawhi missed a free throw. I can't, Kawhi missed a free throw and Ginobili missed a free throw. I don't remember in what order it was, but those free throws enabled the heat for the comeback. But the previous possession, LeBron shoots a three, it misses. The ball comes off the backboard, and I'm fairly certain this is the case. Ginobili, and I think it's Ginobili and Duncan. Ginobili, it's Ginobili and somebody else. They're both standing there, and they both put their hands up. It's a friendly fire rebound. And if you watch it on replay, and I have, you can watch it over and over and over. They're both their hands go for the ball. And like you can't figure out how there's two Spurs hands there, and the ball ricochets off in such a way that it gets free, and the ball goes back to LeBron, and he hits the three, which which cuts the lead from five to two. And then they only get one free throw at the other end, which sets up the Ray Allen three. Um, that's, that's, that's one thing is that that rebound, the crazy bounce on that one. I mean, y- you drop that sort of down in between those two players 50 times. I got to believe 48 of them. They're, they're corralling it. It's just that happened. The other thing I want to say about that is, and Bosch mentioned it again, and obviously Ray Allen mentioned it again. They mentioned the rope, the rope, the rope, the rope. It wasn't really the rope that was um, alarming. Again, if you go back and watch it, the rope was this little teeny thing laying on the ground. I mean, I doubt you even would have noticed it. It was the, it was the guards wearing the fluorescent shirts, the fluorescent, you know, yellowish green shirts that had ringed the court that were like, that stood out like a sore thumb. That's what was so amazing. Everybody says it's the rope. Um, those are two things from that, but no matter how you want to slice it, those two offensive rebounds, um, historic and certainly Bosch going up there and ripping that ball away but not only ripping the ball away, knowing that Ray was over there, he went immediately to him. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it was just the fact that he saw him, that he sort of landed facing that direction. but And throwing him a, a chest-high pass, say whatever you want to say, it was a great pass. It wasn't the greatest pass in NBA history, but it was a damn important pass.
1: Yeah, I would argue, Brian, that that play spoke to the intelligence of that group. Like I, that was um, by far the smartest team I've covered in 20 plus years. Just, I mean, that room, I, you remember that room before games. It's like, you know, you'd have Chris Bosh and James Jones passing finance books to each other. Like it was just a, with, you know, with Shane Battier in the room and everybody else and the bronze IQ and, and all that. And I think. And, and, oh yeah. Well, UD gets forgotten on that stuff. Right. But like, I mean, UD because of the veneer doesn't get thought of that way. But Utanis is a very smart person um, and not just street smart he's He's smart in a lot of different ways. I uh, want to close with this with you, Brian, because you've made another comment repeatedly this year. And as I'm watching, you know, Chris Bosh come back in the fold with the heat and I'm watching Dwayne Wade come back in the fold and I'm watching Shane Battier in the front office. And it seems like a lot of this stuff has been repaired from kind of what fractured during the big three era. Uh, so, cause a lot of guys left unhappy, right? Like Rio left unhappy. everybody left unhappy. Um, and then, you know, you see guys start to come back a little bit, but two questions on this. Um, one, when do you think the LeBron heat relationship gets repaired entirely to the point that we're going to see his Jersey up in the rafters? And second, what is the end game for Pat? I think we asked this question to you earlier this year, but you've made the comment repeatedly that if they hadn't signed some of these contracts, that Miami would be a premium destination for all of you. This is what you're told that if, if they, if they had the cap space, you know, players would be flocking to Miami right now. So those two questions to close.
2: Yeah. um, Well, at the the end of the day, um, I'm glad that they've changed it from heat lifer to heat culture because that heat lifer wasn't real. The, The reality is that the heat would, would cut you loose when the time was right to cut you loose That had always been the Riley way. He was ruthless in that regard, and and I've often said um, that LeBron going to the Cavs was a Riley type move. If Riley was a player like LeBron, I could see Riley do that because he can be ruthless when he has to be. And so as a result, um, you can offend some players. Um, Like you know they had to do they had to do a business deal with Shaq. They had to do a business deal with uh, with Rio. They would do a business deal with Joel Anthony. I mean, how often did they talk about Joel Anthony being, you know, someone who embodied it? Well, when the time came, they had to cut his butt loose. You know, they just had to do it. And they traded him to save luxury tax money. That's not exactly a uh, a proud way for a guy to go traded for luxury tax savings. You know, but you know that's the thing about about Riley and the Heat. Part of Heat culture is being ruthless, and the reason that the LeBron thing stung them so much as it did, is that it didn't happen, and the Heat couldn't couldn't call the shot on it. Um, uh, but Le- but basically, LeBron was putting into play what he learned from the Heat, which is sometimes you have to be ruthless. And uh, I respect I respect uh, the Heat organization immensely, um, uh, and I respect uh, Pat's ability to be ruthless. Um, he does it with a smile, and he and, he, and you know the, at, the, at the end of the day, everyone's always come back. You know, Lonzo came back, Hardaway came back, um, uh, Shaq came back, you know. Uh, I would love to have a Mario Chalmers appreciation night. Uh, he should be appreciated. Uh, Mario was great for the Heat.
1: We're throwing that uh, out, my... by the way, Brian. That, that is, yeah. uh, we, we have some guys in our network. Uh, this is a shout out to our Tito Banache uh, who are Mario Chalmers fanboys. Uh, I mean, it's just outrageous on our group <laughs> chat. They think he's the greatest point guard who's ever lived. So uh, Brian, yeah, that I don't will know about that will it will be sponsored by Five Reasons Sports.
2: Yeah, um yes, I uh Mario was great. Mario was one of the best I, I loved Mario's attitude and he was a great clutch shooter. The guy was one of the great clutch shooters of his era. Um and so uh that's just that's the thing. You know, LeBron will come back. His number belongs up there. He won uh two MVPs and two titles. He was the MVP of both finals. His number will be up there. Uh, number six will be retired and as it should be you know one three and six will hang up there side by side as as they should and Dwayne will have a statue you know Dwayne deserves a statue and LeBron deserves his number retired I think those are those are fair things to say Um, as for what's happened with this version of the Heat I just the Heat have set the tone for being ahead of the game Um, they were they've been ahead of the game on so many things Pat was ahead of the game you know you listen to uh, Tony Fiorentino talk about when he first came to Miami and how ahead of the game Pat was on video work and how they were ahead of the game on scouting. And, you know, uh, you know, Chet camera one of the great scouts has been ahead of the game finding players and, and, you know, just uh, the way they were ahead of the game in getting their players physically fit. Uh, Roddy was ahead of that. They were ahead of the game in salary cap manipulation. Um, they were ahead of the game in super team building. Um, certainly there were super teams who were, that were built before the Heat, but the way the Heat did it all in one fell swoop and managed it, they were ahead of the game. Um, just general general salary cap management, they were ahead of the game. They've always, always, always been ahead of the game and thought it out. And so it's just such a shock to the system that they made the mistake of locking themselves into a non-all-star to non-all-star players the way that they did. And the fact that this, um, the biggest free agent summer since 2010, the heat are completely locked out of it. Um, and it's just so unusual. It's just not the way that Pat and Andy operate. And, um, you know, look, I mean, Uh, no one's infallible everybody makes mistakes i'm not saying that there are any lesser greatness in their in their roles because of it but it's just so surprising that we have all these teams crawling all over each other for free agents and the heat are nowhere to be found and now you have pat coming out and saying basically admitting you know it's pretty clear but basically admitting that they made a mistake and they, they you know he's now come out and said a couple of times um that you know they want to dump salaries next year, and they he can, he said look what New York did, look what Dallas did. He was or he said look look what New York did. I can't remember who the other team he compared to, but you know basically where you attach an asset to a to a player to get rid of his salary, and he's announced that they want to be free agent players uh, in 2020 instead of like 2019. Um, unfortunately, the 2020 free agent class is nowhere near as good as this free agent class. Now, some of these guys might sign one-year contract. Um, there's more ways to use salary cap space than just through free agency. You could have a player who demands a trade uh, and says, I want to play in Miami, and that could happen, and that could uh, rally the Heat back. It's just very surprising, the forward thinking and the player evaluation that the Heat have had for decades – uh, failed them with building this particular team. And I know that um, that Eric and Pat um, and Andy would maybe go uh, toe-to-toe with me on each decision, but I think it's pretty fair to say that this is just an average team. It's an average team. It's been an average team for three or four years, and they locked themselves into a very expensive average team. That's what bad franchises do. The Heat are not a bad franchise. They're an exemplary franchise, and it's just surprising. It's surprising and disappointing. Um, that they've that this has happened. They got a a terrible term a, a terrible break with Chris Bosch's, um, you know blood clots. That was a, a setback for their organization that nobody could have foreseen coming, and definitely set them back. But the reason that they're being held down right now was for the preposterous um, free agent decisions they made a couple of years ago. There's no one to blame but but their own decision making, and that's just. Again, not something I'm used to seeing from
1: them. Yeah, and, and I think the, the thing that's been a little bit encouraging lately. I mean, we've been kind of we've been so down on them for for those decisions, particularly seventeen, and what they did that summer. But uh, there are some sort of glimmers of hope lately. I, I think they have a really good young core. I just don't know that they have a lead guy in it, right? So I I feel like, you know, some of the pieces they have a Winslow or Richardson and Anabio, who I really like, and they've been really good with him. In the starting lineup, even a Derek Jones Jr., who Phoenix gave up on way too soon. Like I feel like there are four pieces to build with, but I don't know that there's one to build around. And, and I, like you said, right. I just, I, I just don't know, you know, who that's going to be. And I don't think it's Jimmy Butler, honestly. I, I, to me, Jimmy Butler's not that guy, and not for that kind of money.
2: I, I, I think that they did a good job not executing that trade.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree um,
2: because they would have, they would have been to do that trade. Forget about. The, what they would have to give up, they would have been betrothed to giving him a five-year max, and uh, I just don't know if you want to give Jimmy a five-year max. Um, uh, I, I, I think their thought process of clearing out the, the the salary cap is the right move. I I thought it was funny. I think you know Pat. I think has done three interviews recently. I know he did one with Levitard, which was great, um, and he did, did one with one, Jax. Uh, at, with, with Jacks Then he did one at Fan Fest mm-hmm. uh, or Family Fest. Mm-hmm. And I think um, at um with the interview with, with uh, Jax, he said, um, why does everybody say we don't like draft picks? Uh, I like draft picks. And then the next, and then literally, I think two days later at family fest, he said, um, yeah, if we have to attach an asset to a, to get rid of salary cap, we'll do it. And I was <laughs> like, Pat, you just said two days ago that you <laughs> care about drafting. Uh, Pat knows, Pat knows how to build a team. He knows what he's doing. Um And uh, he's still, uh, he's still a draw. Um He just, They they just botched this one, and um, uh, I felt like they had botched it from the start. They were so defiant about it from the start that they believed in this team, and it just it was an unusual misread. Um, It was unusual, and not only that, but the contracts. The Heat always win with contracts. They always win with contracts. Andy Ellisberg negotiates contracts, and they're they're always like you know it's it's the you know it's it's the inches where you win with contracts, and You know, okay. So on the LeBron thing, where they gave those guys those deals and they gave them out after four, it was still brilliant the way they did those all those deals. It was still brilliant. Um, But to do these contracts where they gave players who were not accomplished, with all due respect, and and not only not accomplished but not in huge demand out there, uh, player options. Mm -hmm. You know, to give James Johnson a player option um A Pat Riley on the edge on the edge of his game would never give James Johnson a, a, a player option. You know, you know, player options are for are for players like Ray Allen. <laughs> you know, when like when he came in, they gave him a one year deal plus a player option. You give a player option to a Hall of Famer. You know, you do not million, give a player option Ryan. for three million a year. Right. Okay, right. Right. So that, But there was really a year. right right there was really no negotiation. They didn't have any more money they could spend there. They, mm-hmm. But um there was no negotiation on the amount. But um uh you know that's who you give a player option to. you give a player option to Dwayne Wade <laughs> you don't give a player option to uh James Johnson that's what it's not only it's not even only the picking of the players um it's, it was the types of contracts I mean even if they had given those guys <coughs> those big contracts but a year shorter I mean if each of those contracts was just a year sh- shorter Um, You know, Olenek was a little bit different because he was a guy you were trying to sign from the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll I'll give them a pass on that one. But, you know, even if they just did a year, I mean, I just don't think people were beating down the door for Deion Waiters. I don't know. I, I don't need to go ad nauseum in this. All your listeners know this, but it was just unusual. So, um, so maybe Pat and Andy are due for a hot streak here. I I certainly would bet on that based on their track record.
1: Well, I will, I will say this, uh, the justice and Josh contracts look very good, you know, so, and and there were some questions about the justice contract when they signed the extension. I know my partner here had some of those and I think they were warranted because she didn't know if he was going to break out. But when you see the breakout this season and you're like, he's 22 years old and he's adjusting to a new position and they're really good with him on the floor, and he's making sub twelve million a year. That's pretty damn good. The Josh contract is pretty damn good. They've got Bam on a friendly Josh contract. Yeah, they've got yeah. they've got Bam on a on a friendly contract. Okay, the, the Derek Jones Jr. situation is terrific. So, I mean, you have four pieces. And I think the Olinic contract is fine, provided that they're using him and not doing what they were doing in January, which was suppressing his minutes to save tax, you know, but I, I think which
2: they're probably going to lose out anyway, right?
1: Well, they are, because if they make the playoffs, then he gets the bonus and they're going to pay the tax. So, I mean, either it was it was, in my view, very short sighted. And we could go on with that all day. But I mean, they gave him three DNPs. In January, when, as Chris has talked about here on the pod, like Kelly olinick makes things flow better on the court. And it was like Spo couldn't use him in January. That's what it appeared to be. So I just think, like you said, they've done some unheat-like things. But I can see them coming out of it a little bit with some of these decisions and we'll see where it goes. But well, Brian, we appreciate it. Again, follow him at Winhorst NBA. Also check out the new book, LeBron Inc. And I pose this question to someone in the Heat organization. Just a quick answer here. How does LeBron handle Twitter during the playoffs? Is he going zero dark twenty-three? I mean, is he gonna be tweeting off of Warriors games? Like, how do you think he handles that?
2: That is a great question, Ethan. Um you know, the other day, he uh, he put up a, a, a photo of him dunking on IG and said, yeah, he's washed up, he's he's over the hill, whatever, sort of mocking people he said he was. Uh, and then the next day, they declared he was out for the last six games. Uh, not the greatest maneuver there. He's lost his touch a little bit with social media. So I would advocate a very less is more. Uh, but um, LeBron is going to do what LeBron is going to do.
1: Check him out at winhorse.com. ESPN also will have clips from this podcast uh, on our website, fivereasonsports.com. Brian, thanks for doing it again. Take
2: care, guys. Thank you for listening to the Fire Render podcast.
4: Thank you so much.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator